The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So what I'm going to talk about tonight is karma. Um, Karma is something that I have been thinking about, reflecting about, reading about recently. And I think it is very misunderstood in the West. In the East, many cultures, um, karma is just a part of the culture. But in the West, that hasn't been so. And karma, when it came to the West, I think was not really very well understood. Uh, Tan Jeff suggests that it's not easily translatable. And so we keep the word karma in our language. Uh, That's what happens sometimes when a word or something is not easily translated. Then we just adopt that word, and that's what we've done. We usually define it as action. But I think uh, people often have the understanding that it's the fruit of action. So we often call the fruit, the result, karma. But that's actually a misunderstanding. Karma is um, the action. Or the Buddha suggested, he said, when I say karma, I mean intention. The intention that creates the action. But as you know, in our culture, the word karma gets tossed about very loosely. And unfortunately, sometimes destructively, sometimes the way it is suggested to somebody can be hurtful, can actually be harmful. Um, The person may not intend that, but if it's used too loosely without understanding, that can be the result. So I thought it would behoove us to think a little bit, talk a little bit about karma tonight. And I realize for some of you, this might be review. For some of you, it might be new information. But as always, my hope is that it's provocative, that it will challenge you to um, explore karma a bit, explore it in your life, maybe do some reading, um, check on the internet, of course, and uh, and learn more about karma. karma, the understanding of karma. So I'll read briefly what the Buddhist dictionary suggests about karma, or in the Pali, it's kama. Correctly speaking denotes the wholesome and unwholesome volitions and their concomitant mental factors causing rebirth and shaping the destiny of beings. These karmical volitions become manifest as wholesome or unwholesome actions by body, speech, and mind. Thus, the Buddhist term karma by no means signifies the result of actions, and quite certainly not the fate of man or perhaps even of whole nations. Um, as has been misunderstood widely in the West. 
So not the result, not the fruit of karma, but the action or more specifically the intent, the volition behind the action. And it's important to recognize that the law of karma is just a natural law. It's just like a law of physics. It's not a theory. It's not some idea the Buddha made up and then taught. He saw it. He saw the working of karma and came to understand it and then taught it. So this is an important distinction. It's not a superstition. It's not metaphysical. It is an explanation of the natural laws of cause and effect. It reminds me of of years ago when I was teaching parenting classes and we talked about natural and logical consequences rather than punishment. Punishment which could be arbitrary and you know, retribution, not necessarily teaching anything. Um, And we were encouraging parents to use natural and logical consequences, the consequence of what a child did, allowing that to unfold and to teach rather than an arbitrary punishment. So in a way, it's the same idea that we're recognizing, when we recognize karma, we're recognizing the law of cause and effect. We're recognizing the logical or the natural consequences that come from our actions and more specifically from the intent, the motivation behind our actions. So in Buddhist understanding, we don't posit a God, a creator God. So therefore, there's not a God who is determining the rightness or the wrongness of our actions and then deciding what's right, what's wrong, what's skillful, what's unskillful. This is uh, a major difference that I encounter a lot in my interfaith work. I belong to a couple of interfaith groups um, in the South Bay. And because Buddhism... Uh, does not posit a creator god, there's often a a stark distinction, a stark difference. Whereas other traditions may may, um, pray for, say, ask for redemption or whatever, or be fearful of retribution from an angry god um, in Buddhist understanding, there is no such being that is determining um, what actions are correct and what are not, and therefore meeting out punishment. So karma is very uh, matter-of-fact. It is not punishment. It is not um, the anger or ill will of some being. It is just the consequence just what happens if we are, say, uh, unkind, 
uh, in our lives, then we may receive unkindness back. If we are generous in our lives, very often we discover that we receive generosity back. It's not that someone is saying, oh, Bridget, you're really a good girl, you know, you deserve da-da-da-da. Or so-and-so, you're really not a good person. And so you're not going to get whatever. It's just um, the result. It's just the, um, what happens through our skillful or unskillful actions. So uh, the important thing for us to take away, I think, is that our actions do matter. Karma is very complicated. Uh, The Buddha suggested that we would go crazy trying to figure it out. Um, And that's one of the ways it gets badly used. I think it gets abused. Uh, People suggest it's very linear. You know, you do this, that happens. You do that, that happens. And in fact, the Buddha suggested that it wasn't quite that simple. It wasn't quite that linear, that there are many, many factors that come into play um, uh, in the results of karma. So, but nevertheless, one of those important factors is what we do, or more importantly, how we do it, what our intent is behind what we do. So there's a lot of personal responsibility, even though I'm going to say something later that might sound contradictory. But uh, we consider that there is personal responsibility for our actions. So before the time of the Buddha, karma was in the Indian culture. Karma was uh, understood by uh, Hinduism and Jainism, but not as completely as the Buddha understood it. And in fact, it possibly was much more linear. And it was often considered in negative terms or talked about in negative, evil karma or bad karma, rather than a fuller picture of both good and bad, or good and evil. The Buddha actually emphasized the understanding of karma. That is, he brought to it the understanding that ethical behavior, skillful, we might say, moral, virtuous behavior, led to happiness, led to better fruit, better results than immoral or non-virtuous, non-skillful behavior. At the time, there was a lot of external uh, ritual behavior in terms of karma. Um, People understood that to do rituals like sacrifice, uh, that kind of external thing was a way of reducing maybe negative karma um, or creating good karma. 
that makes me think of what happened in Bhutan just, what, last month, wasn't it? When there was that huge slaughter and celebration, I guess, but also slaughter of thousands of animals um, that goes on every five years. This was the first year I had really heard of it. But uh, I think hearkening back to the old practice of animal sacrifice to appease the gods or to create positive karma. So the Buddha um, took it out of that realm and suggested a more internal uh, view of, of karma. That is, paying more attention to our mind and our mind state as we act. So there are three forms of action, body, speech, and mind. And the Buddha really emphasized the mind. He said that the action of our body and our speech really came from the mind. And so he urged us to pay particular attention to the mind and um, and to create wholesome states of mind which would then lead to wholesome actions. So as you may remember, in the first, um, the first chapter of the Dhammapada, the first verse actually begins, all experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows, as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows, like a never-departing shadow. A reminder to us that the mind is so important in producing our actions. Um, It's important to remember that we are not bound to our past karma. I think that's also a different understanding that the Buddha brought. So we may have been unskillful in the past, But that doesn't mean that we are helpless to mitigate, to do something about that karma. Being very mindful, very present, we can can, uh, maybe overcome or at least change some of the results of that past karma. It matters very much what we do right now what our thoughts are, what our state of mind is right now. So that even the most horrible deeds that we may have done in the past don't have to. They will if we don't change our ways, but they don't have to um, be brought to fruition uh, in the present to 
to a, a terrible extent, say. There may be some, but it doesn't have to be that strong. So uh, saying that reminds me of the story of Angulimala, which probably many or maybe all of you will recall. Angulimala lived at the time of the Buddha and was a mass murderer, a serial killer. Wore a necklace of fingers from each of his subjects, each of the people he had killed, and was feared by everyone, and they shied away from him, stayed away from Angulimala. But when he met the Buddha, Angulimala was changed. He was taken with the presence of the Buddha. And as you may recall in the story, um, he hollers to the Buddha, stop, stop, and the Buddha doesn't stop. And he turns, the Buddha instead turns around and says, Angulimala, I have stopped. When will you? So Angulimala was so taken with the presence of this man that he became a follower. He, he uh, um, was asked to become a monk, and the Buddha agreed, and he became a monk and then became enlightened. However, as you may also remember, um, just because he was enlightened did not mean that he did not have to experience some of the karma of his previous actions. Now, not anywhere near what he would have, but still some. So one day the king came to the Buddha's Sangha and said, I understand that the killer Angulimala is here. And the Buddha said, yes, he is. He's right over there. And the king looked over and, of course, saw a man in robes with a shaved head and couldn't believe it. And uh, the Buddha explained that he was now a monk and a follower. And the king, therefore, left him alone, did not prosecute him. He let Angulimala stay in the Buddha Sangha and, um, and did not do anything further. However, the story goes, when Angulimala went into town, he was stoned and beaten and called names. And it was understood that that was his karma from what he had done for all those years. So we see both. We see the, 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 the fruit of what, of what Angulimala did for all those years in his 999 or 99, whatever it was, um, killings. But we also see how the change in him mitigated what, that, uh, what the fruit of those actions would be. So that he suffered some result, but not like he might have. So in Buddhist understanding, karma is often very tied to rebirth. And again, rebirth is something that is very accepted in Buddhist countries and many Eastern countries, not so much here. We in the West are quite skeptical about rebirth. But it is said that um, the fruits of our karma will ripen 
ripen is the term that is used, um, either immediately, which can mean right now, very soon after whatever action is taken, or later in this lifetime, or will ripen in our next lifetime, or will ripen in some future lifetime. Now you begin to see how, how uh, it can be so complicated because there are so many mitigating factors, so many um, causes and conditions that come into play that we can't know whether it's going to ripen very quickly or whether it's going to take a long time to ripen. That may depend on our current actions. It may depend on the strength of the karma of whatever we had done in the past. Um, So this is, I think, one reason the Buddha suggested that you can never untangle it. You can never figure it out. There are just too many uh, uh, circumstances, too many causes and conditions that go into it. Nevertheless, the understanding is that it will at some point ripen. And this is what's important for us to remember so that we understand that our actions do have consequences and we need to pay attention. I I said a few moments ago that Buddhism does not posit a creator god. So in Buddhist understanding, uh, there was no one that created the world. There is, in fact, not an explanation. Um, The Buddha did not suggest how the world began. We sort of start with no beginning. (laughs) Who knows? However, karma is the explanation for its continuance. And um, mostly through the understanding of dependent origination, which you may or may not be familiar with. Dependent origination explains the cycle beginning with ignorance and leading to uh, death that, that continues the wheel of samsara or the wheel of causation. And therefore, it, uh, as I said before, is not um, divinely caused. Uh, it is just the result of what happens. Also, um, it's understood as a process. And a process of cause and effect, of uh, causes and conditions, without an agent. That is, there does not necessarily have to be a person related to this karma. So, um, it is said that the person that creates the karma may or may not be the person that experiences the karma. That can be hard for us to, to understand. Again, from the Buddhist dictionary. The ancient masters have said, no doer of the deeds is found. No one who ever reaps their fruits. Empty phenomena roll on. This view alone is right and true. 
And whilst the deeds and their results roll on, based on conditions all, there is no beginning can be seen, just as it is with seed and tree. So, again, this is the paradox of of the personal responsibility. And this goes to the third characteristic, which is that of of emptiness or of non-self. There is no doer. There is no one either creating or experiencing the results of the karma. It is causes and conditions. It is a process. And while that might be difficult for us to get our minds to accept or understand, I also find it quite freeing. Every time I read that or I think about it, it's very freeing. There's these causes and conditions, you know, that some of which I have some control over and many of which I don't. Sometimes just noticing my moods, Sometimes I can say, oh, yeah, I'm in such and such a mood because that happened and that happened and that happened. That makes sense. But then sometimes the mood changes. And I think, what brought about that change? It's not always so obvious. Sometimes it is, something has happened. Sometimes it's not. Things how does it say, conditions (laughs) go on, roll on, phenomena roll on, without necessarily a doer. Yet, our actions are important. So it is important that we pay attention to our actions, particularly our mind, as the Buddha suggested. And I think paying attention to our mind can often be the most neglected. Sometimes we pay attention to our outward actions. You know, we talk about skillful actions. We talk about not killing and not harming and not stealing and that kind of thing. We talk about speech, wise speech, not lying, not gossiping, that kind of thing. But sometimes we forget that the mind, as the Dhammapada suggests, is the origin of our actions. And that's what we need to pay attention to. The Buddha suggested that is what's important, paying attention to the mind. Because if we don't, then it can lead us down a very unwholesome path. Some of us have very... Very uh, have habits of very negative thinking, whether it's about ourselves or about the world or about something else. Maybe we're very critical. Maybe we're very judgmental. And if we don't pay attention to that, that will lead to not so skillful actions, even though we may have a more superficial intent to be kind and loving and caring and non-harmful, etc. I have discovered that in my life. 
Sure, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I want to be generous and I'm, I want to be kind, etc. But if I don't pay attention to my mind and I let those negative thoughts go on, then what follows will not be so skillful. What follows will be following those thoughts rather than a perhaps more as um, simple or a, or a more superficial intention to be kind. Do you see what I mean? And so paying attention to our minds, what goes on in the mind, because that will condition the intention, which will condition the karma. So uh, there are several ways of, let's see, talking about, describing perhaps karma and the fruits of karma. And I'm being careful with my words because I find that it's very easy to fall into the, the verbiage of karma as being the fruit because I think that's a misunderstanding that we have here in the West. And so it's very easy to, to want to express it in a way that sounds like the fruit. Uh, driving up here, I was thinking of an example. I don't know how many of you knew Don Flaxman, but uh, Don was, was a very generous person, and uh, he often talked about having good money karma. And I think what he meant by that was, you know, he made good money. Um, I have said, I have good parking karma. And what I mean by that is, you know, I usually find a parking place. (laughs) But I think in reality, what Don was saying was, uh, I mean, what, what was really true for Don was that he picked a profession, he was an investor, where he made good money, and he was very skillful at it. And he was very kind and very generous, and he helped his clients to make money, to make good investments, and in turn, he reaped the benefit. He made good money. And I think what I mean is more like I set out with the attitude that I'm going to find a parking place. And invariably I do. Now, it might not be right in front, but it's, you know, within the realm. So I think that's one of the ways that we loosely throw about the term of karma. But you can see in both of those, it's really results, not the action that that we may be referring to as we say we have good karma. So there is strong and weak karma. Um, An example of strong karma is killing, taking a life. This is considered very strong and, of course, very negative karma that will reap unhappy results that will lead to suffering. However, there are instances, perhaps, where killing 
may not have such strong karma. Something like self-defense. If someone is, is inadvertently killed as we are defending ourselves, but we did not have ill will in our hearts or minds, we did not intend perhaps to kill, and we were not angry and wishing ill will, then the karma of that killing will be weak or will not be so strong. So the action itself is important, but is not the only factor. Gill often uses the example of a knife. Someone can have a knife and use it to really harm someone. Someone can have a knife and be a surgeon and use it to really help. So we see that there's much more to it than just the action, but the karma, the, uh, yes, the intent behind that action. Um, and we talked about, I mentioned, there's karma that ripens immediately, karma that, karma that ripens in the next life, karma that ripens in future lives. There's also a, uh, a simpler description. Um, the Buddha suggests that killing leads to a short life. However, not killing leads to a long life. Harming leads to illness or sickness, not being well, whereas non-harming leads to health. Anger and hatred lead to ugliness, whereas kindness, gentleness, leads to beauty. Stinginess can lead to poverty, whereas generosity can lead to wealth. And as I say that, uh, I just want to suggest an expanded definition of wealth, not just perhaps money per se, or even things per se, but um, there are lots of ways to be wealthy, right? Um, And a mind that's open and exploring and inquisitive leads to wisdom, whereas a mind that is dull and not interested leads to dullness. So uh, another point I want to suggest is that sometimes people feel the idea of karma is like fatalism or determinism. And when they do, it can lead to just giving up, you know. Oh, well, that's my karma. I think that's another way it gets misused um, in the West. But actually, uh, karma is not determinism. It is also not randomness. It is not chaotic. Um, It can be empowering. When we recognize, when we see that the quality of our mind and the quality of our actions is important and does have an effect, then we can align ourselves 
with what is skillful, with what is going to lead to happiness or less suffering, and not with what leads to unhappiness. Did I say that right? (laughs) Okay. We can align ourselves with life rather than resisting or fighting against life. So, although our actions are very important, they are not, as I said earlier, the only factor. There are other factors. But it is the factor that we have control over. And so, we can align our actions with what will lead to happiness and lead away from suffering. It's important, though, to know that what I've been talking about is karma in this relative world, right? Karma on the wheel of samsara. And there is another, another, what's the word I want? Another way of viewing karma or another way of working with karma. Maybe that's it. And that is what leads to the end of karma. So karma is what we experience while we're on this wheel of birth and death, birth and death. But getting off that wheel, i.e. becoming awake, enlightened, free, then we create no more karma. So an arhat, someone who is fully enlightened, creates no karma. There may sometimes be some karma that has to be played out, and that will just play out, that will just happen, but an arhat is not creating more karma. So we might say that a goal, or what we are inspired to do, is to, one way of saying it, create enough good karma or get to the point of awakeness, enlightenment, so that we create no more karma. And we get off this wheel of birth and death, or the wheel of samsara. And this, we like to say in this practice that there are no goals, um, but actually we are inspired, right, to become free to become fully awake, to become free of our suffering. And in doing so, we end this cycle of causation. We end this cycle of birth and death and rebirth and death and rebirth, which the Buddha suggested has gone on for eons and eons, whether we remember or not, whether we know or not. Uh, He suggested that is what has been going on. And for many of us, um, the idea is to get off this wheel. No more birth and death and rebirth. And if it's understood that karma, karma or karma, is what um, uh, supports the cycle of dependent origination, which gives the fuel for the ignorance that creates the next rebirth then we want to align our actions 
body, speech, and mind in such a way that we become free and create no more karma. So I hope that has been helpful. It is 9 o'clock. If you have questions or comments, I'm happy to stay around a little bit and uh, answer what I can. I don't claim to have all the answers to karma. It's a huge subject. Um, But I realize that some of you need to leave, so please feel free to do that.